When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the ninth episode of the Pirate Rugby Pod. And thank you to our 150 YouTube subscribers. A reminder that you can find us on YouTube, Apple, Spotify and Megaphone, as well as our free Substack, all of which you'll find links for in the description below. Please subscribe and leave us a comment. It lets the people at Sports Social know we're doing the right thing. Over to you, Hugh. Yeah, so this week, guys, the podcast is going to be slightly different. So myself and Enda have been over in France this week, taking in games in real life. And that, while that's been a great experience, what it sadly means is that we don't have all of the stats and all of the insight that we normally give you on the pod. So what we thought we'd do instead is we'd give you uh, an insight into what it is like going to these events in person. Maybe for one or two of you who haven't had the opportunity to head over, uh, we'll let you know what it's like to really attend these events and what kind of things go on that you maybe don't see on TV and give you an idea of just basically how France have been getting on hosting the tournament. But before we get into all of the storytelling, uh, we're going to jump into the big news of the week like we always do. And the big breaking news of this week, which came out just before we hit record, was that World Rugby are considering taking the Rugby World Cup in 2027 behind a paywall in the UK. So currently, as we've covered before, it's on ITV. ITV's contract expires after this World Cup, and World Rugby is saying that they have not ruled out going behind a paywall. So as someone like Sky or Amazon or BT or whoever could come in, and it would mean that apart from, I think, at least the final and maybe the semi-finals legally in the UK have to be on free-to-air, but up until then, it could all be behind a subscription matter. So we've got with us, obviously, the broadcasting expert that is Ender. So, mate, what is your what is your immediate reaction to this? What's your take on it? I think, yeah, when you when you when you look into it, it's more probably just a, a negotiation no negotiate negotiation tactic, I guess. Like, obviously, the Premier League, uh, soccer wise, uh, those nego- those broadcast rights are up for renewal at the moment, and there have been numerous stories since um, the beginning of this year saying that Apple could come in, you know, that there will be direct consumer streaming service. These are always stories, I think, that that break before big deals are announced or agreed upon. I think that's all we're probably seeing here. I would be very, very surprised if the World Cup did go behind a paywall in the UK. Um, and two kind of main reasons, well, one main reason for this really is, is if you look at Ireland, like actually like the last World Cup that was broadcast in Ireland, it was actually behind a paywall and um, it was on air sport which now no longer exists and um, which tells you which reads a lot into the uh, broadcasting landscape here in ireland and um, so it actually like they have done it before definitely in ireland um but if you look at the current world cup cycle and and the fact that it's split between you know virgin media and rt in ireland now at the moment for the current world cup that that does show that you know the powers that be and uh, who are selling these rights do allow now to um, you know, free to wear broadcasters to combine combine their bid and put in a substantial offer, and that allows them to get the rights. So I think, you know, knowing that 
that's the way things played out in Ireland this year would give me hope. So like when the when the rights yeah when the when the bidding starts, if say BBC and the ITV came together and, and put forward a bid, I think you know that would obviously be higher than what um either you know ITB or BBC would be able to put forward themselves. So I think that could be an option definitely for them. Um, now look, I, I think yeah, my 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 read into it is yeah, it's definitely a negotiating ta- tactic. But having said that, if you look at Ireland as well, like they, they did do it before, where they did put it behind a paywall here. Um, and we know how badly rugby was hit uh, because of COVID. So, you know, they are looking for more, more money. But we all know if it goes behind a paywall, it will lead to less people watching the tournament, which is not exactly what you want. Like this is our flagship rugby event. We want as many eyeballs on it as possible. And one way to do that is not to put it on a paywall or to put it behind a paywall. So hopefully it's yeah just negotiating tactic. But when you look at rugby overall as well um, and the concerns around um even if you look at Australia, like, for example, like if you look at um, and we can get onto that later, how you could argue that, you know, rugby in Australia is in crisis at the moment. Um, like it's easy to see it happening to another country. And so, you know, the game does need more money. This would be one easy way to do it. I'm sure Sky or one of the other major broadcasters would happily put money forward. Um, but hopefully, yeah, based based on Ireland's experience and Virgin Media and RT being allowed to put in that that combined bid, that shows that if you know if the powers that be behind the free to air companies and uh, get their act together and put put forward a similar bid in the UK, I think it, it could be saved. Or maybe as you kind of suggested, it could be split. You know, there could be a certain amount of games um, on pay TV. Um, and maybe say the English games, for example, on ITV, they could go that route. It would be a disaster, in my opinion, because that would like further divide the the broadcasters up and make it even more confusing for people to find out where where the rugby is on. Um, but yeah, let let's watch this space. But for me, yes. it's a negotiating tactic, and and I would I I believe it'll stay behind free to air, and I would say that the uh, free to air broadcasters will get together if if need be. So here in France, um, it's split between M6 and uh, TF1, which is, is I don't know if those broadcast channels are related. I don't know what the situation is in France, but that confused me because every game was on M6 up until Ireland versus South Africa, which was then on TF1. So it came time, I sat down, I flicked on the TV and the game wasn't on, it was something else. And I was like, well, where is it? I don't know where it is. I think... Negotiating tactic-wise, it's a great point because if they said, no, it's definitely not free-to-air, immediately that lowers what BBC and ITV would bid um, to get it. From from your experience, mate, do you have any idea what the kind of viewership difference would be between it being on free-to-air and um, pay-per-view? I don't have any official stats here, but I do. I have looked at figures for previous tournaments and everything. I do know that over a million people in Ireland watch watch the South Africa um the Ireland game. When you consider Ireland's population, that is that is a massive viewing figure. Like that's a massive viewership. And I think it doesn't take a genius to realise you're simply not going to get those figures if it's on Sky or for, even if it's on Amazon. I know Amazon's a lot cheaper, it's a lot more accessible, some people would argue, but I can guarantee you that the same amount of people wouldn't watch it. Um so I think you would be looking at hundreds of thousands of people less and uh, depending on the like in Ireland, I think it would be hundreds of thousands uh, in the UK. It's it's difficult. It could be in the millions. Um, but I, I would imagine, um, yeah, that, that they would be an, an awful lot lower. Um, and you see those figures, don't you? Like I know with, with Formula One, 
the British Grand Prix is shown on free to air, isn't that right? And while simultaneously it's shown on Sky as well. And and you know, Channel Four always has those higher viewing figures. Um, it, it it's 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 yeah, I think it's it's quite standard. Um, like because your hardcore rugby fans like you and I are always going to pay. Like we're never like even if you know it was it was, <laughs> you know, like we'd always go out of our way to to get it. But like, it's those kind of casual fans that are going to miss out, and they're not going to bother paying for something that they'd only put on if it's if it's available free or if they just happen to be sitting at home and they they flick on the the channel. But I think yeah, in Ireland's case, it would definitely be within the the hundreds of thousands that's ending, and it'd, it'd be in the millions. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's it's a really interesting story. Um, let's see where it leads. And obviously, you know, World Rugby and Rugby Pass recently launched Rugby Pass TV. Now, what I've read into this so far is that it's really there at the moment to broadcast the World Cup in countries where rugby isn't a big sport and where, for example, the the Rugby World Cup doesn't have a, a local broadcaster because it simply does not enough interest. So they've stepped in there and they provided the service for free in those regions which is great to see. Um, so you'd imagine, you know, especially with some tier two teams, if there is a game on, um, say Tonga v Samoa in, a, in the next, say, World Cup warm-up game in a couple of years' time, you'd imagine that Rugby Pass TV will be able to step in there and actually show that um, for free, hopefully, um, in other parts of the world where there's no local broadcaster. But it's not, you know, I listened to Jim Hamilton on on, on Rugby, um, sorry, on the Rugby Pod mentioned this, and he did kind of suggest that it's it's not, there to compete necessarily with you know say RT in Ireland or ITV in the UK it's there in case no broadcaster picks up um, a game or a major tournament now that might change obviously and especially if it's free like they're hardly gonna um, put in a bid against RT in Ireland if they're not going to charge you because that would just be a massive loss maker so I think that's the idea with the Rugby Pass TV at the moment obviously we've seen there's been a bit of controversy around the Rugby World Cup highlights because the extended highlights are not available on youtube they're all behind they're all on rugby pass tv now the good thing is they are free but obviously a lot of people are complaining because it is not you know the casual fans are not going to see these highlights and also because you do have to sign up and the minute you make somebody enter an email address you, you you've lost half the people um, and and their interest so yeah rugby pass tv would it will definitely be uh one to watch but i think for the moment it's there you know, I think like if you look at the the new women's tournament, the women's 15 tournament that's coming up, it's WX5 that's coming up. Uh, that is going to be on um, Rugby Pass TV in regions that don't where there isn't a local broadcaster picking up the rights. But having said that, um, I'm sure you saw uh, this last week as well on, on Twitter, mate, that, you know, the England v Canada game. Uh, in yeah. uh, in in rugby last Saturday, I believe it was, was not shown on a free to air broadcast. No broadcaster picked it up, even though it was yeah. offered for free. Yeah. But it wasn't on Rugby Pass TV. It was actually on there, you know, on on YouTube and on Facebook. But maybe it was just a timing piece. Uh, I'm not sure on that one. Mm, yeah, yeah, I saw that. It's disappointing. Really disappointing. Yeah, but I think for Rugby Pass TV, I, like it is going to be interesting to see where that goes as well. Like I've, I've no doubt in my mind that it could eventually become that a direct consumer uh, product that we're all crying out for, where you can pay to watch all the rugby, or maybe it'll probably be, let's face it, certain rugby. I'm sure the major broadcasters are still going to pick up um, some rights, and it's it's going to remain a fragmented market for now, and even going into the the near future, in my opinion. But it is interesting that they have that platform now, and I think it's 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 only going to go up and it's only going to to grow. But that's probably it for, for that breaking story, mate. But the 
other kind of major news story of the week, which I really want to get hear your opinion on, is Eddie Jones in Australia. Um, you know, what a disaster, I guess. What a disaster result, I suppose, for, for Rugby Australia, but what a disaster for Eddie Jones as well. Um, you know, we, we've called it out. He didn't have enough time to to make an impact on this team. We both, I think, are of the opinion that Dave Rennie probably should have been left in charge and and given the chance to, you know, like how close were Australia to it? Like people forget, like, wasn't it just last season where they're basically a penalty decision away from potentially winning the rugby championship? Like that's how that's that's how far they've come. Like, or sorry, that that's how low the, you know, the ball has dropped since then. It's just a bit. Yeah. What's your take on this? This whole situation, right? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think there's a really direct comparison that I haven't seen many people talking about that you can make between Warren Gatlin's Wales and Eddie Jones's Australia. They both came into their job this year. Gatlin has had slightly more time. And the idea was come in, reinvent the team, new personnel, new way of playing, new results, hopefully. Gatlin has been able to impart that and Eddie Jones hasn't. Eddie Jones has... I think, very clearly made the Australian national team worse. Which obviously Warren Gatlin has come in and made Wales clearly better. What does that come down to? I think it comes down to... Don't oversimplify it. I think it comes down to man management and selection. Warren Gatlin's thing, with the exception of the 2021 Lions tour, one thing that Warren Gatlin has always been able to hang his hat on is selection. And he's gotten it right nine times out of ten. Eddie Jones, for me, has gotten this selection of this Australia team very wrong. Why he hasn't built the team around the Brumbies makes no sense to me. The Brumbies were the only competent Australian side in Super Rugby this year. The other four were average to bad, to be honest, for most of the season. And yet there was only five players, I think I read, that were in that Australia team that were Brumbies players. And then you've obviously got the things that everyone's talking about, which is Cooper and Hooper and all of the, the experienced players that he's decided not to bring. The, the stat that was going round uh, previously with Australia A, who were playing friendlies this summer, had more caps in it than on the Australia full team. I don't want to use the word apologists, but the people who back Eddie Jones always say you're not seeing the bigger picture. Every time you criticise Eddie Jones, you say there's a bigger picture that you're not taking into account. It's more than this, more than this. Well, it was more than this with England. And he was he had a team playing bad rugby, getting bad results. And then he got sacked. And now he's in Australia and his team is playing bad rugby and getting bad results. One win in eight, is it now? It's one win against a Georgia side who's just drawn with Portugal. Um, when when is it not the big picture anymore? When, when is it like Eddie? When are we going to start winning games here, mate? We're not. When do we stop building? When is when does the building happen? The phrase "Don't pee on my shoes and tell me it's raining" springs to mind with Eddie Jones for me. It's you're telling me that there's a bigger picture. You're telling me you're building for something. You're telling me you're trying something new. And watching your teams, mate, and it's going badly. It's going badly. And when is it going to stop going badly? You're saying now, with England, it was all we're building for 2023. And with Australia now, it's all we're building for 2027. 
it, international rugby is about results and you can't just take the fans for granted like Eddie Jones has been doing. You can't just say, I'm going to serve you up this terrible rugby in the name of something bigger and you're going to sit there and watch it while I do my thing. And the, Eddie Jones only cares about World Cups and he only he's obsessed with him being the guy to win a World Cup for a country. I think he needs to be held to account by the people who employ him a bit more. But you can't tell me that in the autumn where he got sacked by England, there was no one from the RFU tapping on the, tapping on the shoulder and saying, Eddie, could you win a couple of games, mate? I think that would go really well. And he was saying, no, nah, mate, we're, we're building for the World Cup. I don't want to win games, mate. I don't want to win them. Like, no, I think he tried to, to win and he couldn't for whatever reason, whether that's because of England players. What the last thing that I'll say, when those two came into their job, Warren Gavin and Eddie Jones this year, no one, not a single person said that Eddie Jones's job is harder than Warren Gatlin's. Everyone said Welsh rugby is a mess. Everyone said that all the players are terrible, all the um, regions are terrible, all of the problems at the WRU behind the scenes that we could go on and on about. And everyone was saying that it would be Wales who went out of the group stage. Well, 40 points to six, mate, how about that? Now, I've been, if you go on my Twitter and you search the word Australia, you will see me listing how often Australia get beat by big margins. And it goes back to Dave Rennie's days. And he simply hasn't been able to turn that around. And like I said, it's gotten worse. What, what is there more to say? I, I, like I said, I think he needs to be held to account. And it's not about the big picture anymore, Eddie. It's about can you win a game today? And his selections have, have been his downfall, in my opinion. He, he's got it wrong. It's 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 going to be a fascinating story uh, to watch. Like if you know, I don't think Portugal will do a job on them, but you know, stranger things have happened, and like morale is going to be so low. Um, I I don't know. It's, it it'll be a fascinating game. We'll, we'll get onto it later, but yeah, it, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? It's it's and the the contrast between both setups is as you said, where both you know were thrown in at the deep ends. Really, you know, didn't Gatlin come out and say? You know, he didn't realise how bad the situation was behind the scenes yeah. in, in the WRU. So, yeah, I mean, it's sad for Australian rugby. I mean, they are hosting the next World Cup. So let's, let's hope for rugby's sake that they get it, their act together, uh, whether that involves removing Eddie Jones or not, who knows. But whatever they need to do, they need to. It sounds like they need to, to do a proper review of Rugby Australia and just yeah. from the top down and just make sure yeah. that, yeah. Eddie's problem now is, like I said, all the people who will be saying, oh, no, you've got to see the big picture. It would be a mistake for Robbie Australia to sack Eddie now. They need to stick by and change the coach or fix anything. Eddie's problem is that he runs out of friends fast. He uh, has alienated the Australian press. He did that pretty much in his first point of order when he came into the job. He's alienated a lot of the players, especially the experienced players. And... As we saw with with England, he just alienates more and more people. He, he's probably alienated quite a lot of fans. We know his coaching turnover with his assistant coaches is is remarkably high. Like I I, I suspect Eddie will run out of friends very quickly in in Australia, and eventually, is it is it someone McCall who is the head of Rugby Australia? Something like that. Right. I might have got that wrong. Um, but apparently he's mates with the guy who is top of rugby Australia and the guy 
from Rugby Australia, put his neck out and said, no, Eddie's the guy. Yeah, he, he, he needs that friend in that high place for him to hang on to his job, from my opinion. But yeah, I think that that's me. That's me on my, my soapbox. Of course, I'm happy from my point of view. I, I can say all this because my team obviously came out on the right side of the result. But yeah, I think now we'll move on to telling some stories, mate. Yeah, so thankfully this weekend um, I managed to make it to arguably one of the best games of rugby any of us have seen in quite some time. Uh, definitely, I think the game of the tournament. I don't think that's a controversial statement, but it's a game of the tournament so far. We'll put it that way. Um, so, yeah, I was lucky enough to, like, I got my ticket sorted, you know, uh, about seven days before um, the game kicked off. So I had to scramble to get um, my flight sorted. Thankfully, accommodation was sorted, so I had to get my flight. So I had an interesting route via... Stockholm so it did take my uh, it took a while for me to get over there but I did make it and I managed to make it over on the Friday before the game and when I arrived I went straight to the pub and um, to meet my friends and I could just tell like the the crowds on the street um already shout out to, to Corcoran's uh, Irish pub uh, in Paris there were there were thousands of people outside the pub was absolutely jam-packed you could barely move and everyone was just in flying form. Uh, there were some South African fans as well, but the place was predominantly just full, um, full of Irish fans. Everyone was in great form. Um, an amazing atmosphere even that night. They were singing that night. Everyone was just really building up for the for the next day. And then when Saturday rolled around, uh, we got up in the afternoon, headed into to Paris. And <laughs> yeah, there were definitely people who started the, yeah their preparations for the game a lot sooner than us. Like we grabbed a meal and. We could hear about 50 meters down the street outside Corcoran's uh, pub that people like the crack had kicked off already, and there were thousands of people just singing the fields of Athen Rye. There were one or two rugby balls being kicked and um, being landed in trees. You had lads climbing up trees to get the balls down. You'd you'd <laughs> you'd balls going into balconies and hotels, and you had Irish fans going up and somehow making their way into the hotel and popping up out of nowhere on the balcony with the balls it was that kind of atmosphere you know it was it was just it was brilliant everyone was in fine form a couple of South African fans there as well everyone was getting on as well Um, there was no animosity like there was just yeah Um, there was a really really nice build up and uh, the only thing it was it was such a late kickoff in, in French time because it was at 9 p.m yeah um, so yeah so as you can imagine yeah the build up was yeah it felt like a really long day and then we got to the stadium about three hours beforehand. And yeah, there was that similar atmosphere outside. People got there early, like we got to our seats, eventually got in around hour and a half before kickoff. And the stadium was probably half half full at that stage. And by the time kickoff came, it was completely and utterly full. And everybody was just in full voice. Sexton came out before kickoff, you know, to go through his routine. And he was acknowledging the crowd. And yeah, he got the biggest cheer of the night I think when they were going through the the lineups um so there's that kind of atmosphere and I don't know about you know we'll get on to your experience as well at, at your game but for me like we were surrounded by Irish fans but also South Africans like there was South African ahead of me behind me and um, so that kind of added it to it to it as well and um, there was great back and forth but all all in yeah everyone was just in in, in great form and and in singing form and yeah, what what a what a game then uh, when it came to kickoff. Like the roar of of the of the crowd when the teams came out was 
something I'd never heard before. I've had numerous people tell me who've been to many rugby matches that this is the best game or best atmosphere they've experienced. We've had players say that as well since the game. Um, but yeah, it started before kickoff, and then yeah, once the teams came out, you could yeah, you could just feel the energy and the release of energy from people and uh, in the crowd with the singing. And um, I've never heard so many renditions of uh, the fields of Athenry. And um, but yeah, the game itself, um, yeah, it was it was electric. Like we were generally out of our seats for every single decision that went Ireland's way. Like if you saw like a, a turnover, like I remember when James Lowe won that turnover, the entire row I was sitting on just jumped up, uh, and we were cheering for like yeah, it was a game like that where everything that went your way, there was a massive release of yeah, just acceleration. Like it was brilliant, and it was like that from minute one uh, right till the end. Um and yeah, it was just an absolutely fabulous uh experience. Um and yeah, I think there allegedly about thirty thousand Irish fans. We've heard everyone say it. There, there definitely was more than there were more more people at it than that. And there was a and there was a good crowd of South Africans as well, and and they made their their voice heard as well at times as well. So it was just absolutely brilliant game. And then like I just couldn't get over the physicality. Um just yeah even like the, the nerves as well like how impressive it was from Ireland after such they lost four lineouts in a row uh, I remember there was a huge reaction when you know when Sexton made that decision early on to go to the corner and knock over the posts and then you know I think it was an overthrown lineout and you know like and then the box were up the field lineouts on the bounce didn't you something like that four four on the bounce yeah um and you know we struggled on the high ball a few times, but like it was a really kind of cagey kind of, yeah, just a nervous start, I would say, from Ireland. Um, but thankfully, it just the occasion and everything and the mistakes didn't get to them and they recovered really well. Like it wasn't as if, you know, 20 minutes in, Farrell realised that the team wasn't doing well and just made changes. Like they just stuck to the system. You could tell that they obviously believe in themselves because they, they came back so strongly. And one thing, um, you know, has to be said about Ireland's performances on the defence, like everybody was talking about pre-game about Ireland's attack versus South Africa's defence. But for me, it was Ireland's defence that won that yeah. game. And it was just phenomenal. They were absolutely did fierce. Like, did it feel like Ireland were hanging on? Because watching it on TV, it felt like, especially in the second half, South Africa were battering down the door. You had... Um, Willemser, who I thought had his best game ever for South Africa, running everything. You had obviously their electric wingers. You had uh, Deolende taking on Aki. And I, I thought Deolende versus Aki was worth the admission fee alone. If I'd have been there, I thought that was phenomenal to watch. But in the second half, especially when that bench came on, the much vaunted 7 1 split, South Africa were really on top. And it, it reminded me a bit of it was a Six Nations game a few years ago. I want to say 2016, 2015, must have been 2015, Ireland versus Wales in Cardiff, where Wales just hung on and hung on and hung on and got one opportunity and went down the other end and scored. Is that what it felt like to you, that it was a, it was about all about Ireland getting in front and then hanging on to that lead? For me, and I, I've talked to obviously the people I was there with, you know, we reflected on the game and a few other people since. At the stadium, I never got the sense that, Ireland were being outplayed. I really genuinely felt like Ireland were on top and were creating more opportunities. And I, it doesn't feel like we hung on. Now, obviously, we all know and we can get onto it, but I don't want to go go over the top on on Libox kicking. And um, but obviously, 
there were some missed kicks and that like if those kicks hadn't been missed, Ireland probably would have lost. But it really didn't feel like that. Um, and that's probably just because of a couple of big moments. Maybe I'm and, and obviously I'm biased, but like that, I like the big moments for me were that that massive Bundyaki break, which is just phenomenal. Uh, James Lowe's turnover, the you know the controversial call at the end where we um you know where the ball wasn't available when um they were attacking our line. South Africa that is. So it just felt overall that we weren't. Um, and I hate to say it as well when. The box did have kick opportunities. I wasn't confident um, either in uh, Leclerc or in Lubok that, that they'd make those kicks. So maybe that was part of that uh, confidence as well, knowing that the kickers weren't on point, like they weren't firing in the day. We all know that Lubok, you know, he can produce. Um, but he, unfortunately for South Africa, he didn't produce on Saturday. But it didn't feel like that. But there was, yeah, you're right, when 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 they unleashed their bench and they won that scrum penalty, I remember yeah. turning to my friend going, you know the the scrums in trouble here, um. But thankfully Ireland did get some parity. Like the like it wasn't as if once the bomb Scott came on, they won every single scrum. They didn't. It kind of went and back so and forth. To be Finley honest, Finley Beelan came on to save the day. And Finley Beelan came on and did a wonderful job. And and Andrew Porter has been yeah he was a stalwart and yeah Dan Sheen had a big impact. So I think that yeah and Beelan and that again. Kind of, I remember flagging this in the last point. It was really important that he didn't, uh, thankfully, that he passed his his head injury, his subsequent head injury assessments, and was past fit because, yeah, he was very important to that scrum. So, and for me as well, I hate to say it, but like it, it, you know, well, I'd be here eating my words if you know the box hadn't made those kicks. But the seven and one in hindsight was not the way to go on the bench. Um, now I know the, you know, I have heard on another pod that that. A crooked throw was a bit of a harsh call but it just you know there was always there were always going to be eyes from the ref um on that what weren't there like when when everybody the main talking point was that there was no designated hooker on the bench i mean well, dion fury has been the there before sorry who's the ref for this one it wasn't luke pierce was it it was ben o'keefe who actually oh, had a yeah. very yeah, good game afterwards he had a good game i thought it, i did i did yeah he record. let the game flow as well yeah, yeah. He, he wasn't you know too whistle happy um so yeah i i just think yeah i think that the seven one was was a mistake i think that and 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 i think what proved that was that you know that that line out was lost and now there was another line out that he won of course um but for me yeah it, yeah i think our, it just overall again i'm biased but ireland deserved that win they played the better rugby um, and again, they came through unscathed, which is incredible. Um, like this is Sexton's third game, big game in a row. Um, and he was absolutely like he almost got scored under the post. He was phenomenal uh, again. Um, yeah, and he kept getting battered by by Steph Detoy. I know he tackled him at one stage and he went down because he was holding his shoulder. And I'm sure that bloody well hurt him. But again, he got up. He's an absolute warrior. I've said it since the beginning of this World Cup. I think if he stays fit, we're genuinely able to shot to win this thing. Um. And I know, yeah, we did talk about those late shots last week, didn't we? And I think he's, yeah, he's well able to take them. Um, he's targeted, but he's targeted for good reason because yeah. he's released the ball at the Finn last Russell minute. Is, is, in, in space. Finn Russell, we'll, we'll come on to it in the game that I went to, but Finn Russell is is like that as well. He's the, every, the opposition is out to hurt him and injure him. He just gets yeah. up. It's, so, it's, a, it's annoying, is what it is. It's like, why won't yeah. you die? <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's uh, absolutely yeah fabulous occasion. Um, if I were a box fan, I wouldn't be really be one bit worried now that they've got Honda, uh, you know, Pollard back and 
they can definitely bounce back from this. They've, I think what this game showed is that Ireland and South Africa are the best teams on the planet yeah. at the moment. And it could very well be, as Brendan Jackman said, you know, South Africa versus Ireland in the final. It's probably the, far, the final that a lot of neutrals are are hoping for. Um, which are an absolutely best best sporting occasion that I've been at. I've never sang and screamed so much at a game before in my life. And yeah, just absolutely electric atmosphere. Um, and it was a credit to the players and to all to all the fans that made it over that they made it such a brilliant occasion. And, and same to the Springboks as well. We have to a shout out to their fans. They were outnumbered, um, but that's just simply a case of geography as well. Um, yeah. But they were brilliant, the fans who were there. The ones I did bump into were absolutely brilliant crack and knew their rugby. And, yeah, one thing that stood up for me as well after the game, you know, a lot of the box players hung around and they did their laps. And, they, you know, we all, a lot of Irish fans actually stood up and, and gave the uh, box players standing um, ovation when they were walking around doing their lap of honour after, after Ireland as well. So there was acknowledgement from both sets of fans at how well both teams played. And a number of the box fans as well were there well well into the evening, you know, signing jerseys, taking selfies, which is always brilliant to see. And, and not surprising. We we all we always go on about rugby values and stuff, but yeah, I could I could see them. Um but yeah, mate, that was my experience. Uh, let's let's hear about yours. You were in France as well. Yeah, so I went to Nice to see Scotland versus Tonga. So a bit like you, mate, my accommodation was sorted before my tickets were. So my girlfriend has a family friend who owns uh, an apartment down here in the south of France, which is where I am now. And uh, we uh, initially we thought that the apartment was in Nice, and it turns out that it's not. It's in a place called Saint Raphael, or is it in Fréjus? Which, as far as I can tell, Saint Raphael and Fréjus are two different names for places either side of the same street. So I'm not sure which one I'm in right now, but it's one of those. Uh, so we had to get to Nice from here and it turned out that train wasn't an option because of the times and a taxi was too expensive. So we ended up renting a car. So rented a car from here, uh, which the car rental people made a mistake on and had us down for the wrong day. And we went in and we said we're here for our car. And they said you were supposed to be here yesterday. And we said no. And their system had crashed and we had to do all the paperwork actually in paper and sign it all with pens and things and then it was my first time driving in france so it was a 15-minute drive in uh, the very latest perzo perzo shitbox uh, from san rafael station to nice stadium which i'm still here so it went okay <laughs> it was it was exciting though uh, and the sat took us right literally to the stadium door <laughs> so we went in and we like stopped on entrance and there's a security guard looking at us like, oh, what are you doing here? And we're like, can we park? And unbeknownst to me, my girlfriend can speak French. She insisted that she couldn't, but she had a conversation with the security guard in French and got a recommendation from him as to where we could go and park, which was a multi-story next to a supermarket, uh, which it was 10 minutes walk from the stadium, which we went and got into. And it was free parking. I don't, the car park didn't shut or anything, so we kind of got really lucky with that one. We we got there about seven hours early, so we went into Nice city centre for a bit of culture. We went to the uh, the art museum to see the Yves Klein expi- exhibition and things. We went into the rugby village as well to take in uh, the sights and spend 30 euros on this area. 
Oh well. I don't know. You had did you bring your berry with you, mate? Your green berry. That was gifted to me for the game only, and then I had oh, to. Right. Okay. So we've got this berry forever, and it is, yeah, thirty euros. Say no more. Anyway, uh, so yeah, walking around Nice, it was packed full of Scotland fans. So I went as a Tonga fan. Anyone who's been on my Twitter has seen a picture of me in my Tonga jersey. I also had my scarlet hat and scarf. Force tearing on Beth Peter, who got a red card in the game, and Sam Lousy as well. Uh, two Scarlet's players. I also got to see Munster's own uh, Malafekatoa, and I got to see Charles Piatau as well, formerly of Bristol. I can't remember where he's gone to now, as well as all of the other the fantastic Tonga players. So, yeah, walking around Nice, like I say, Scotland fans everywhere. I was the only Tonga fan that I met all day. Uh, which was a, a bit disappointing, but you can understand because if South Africa to France is a long way, then Tonga to France is like it might as, it might as well have been paid on Mars from their guys' point of view. So went back on that, then got the tram back to the stadium. We thought that we were going to beat the crowds, but the incredibly full, sweaty, hot tram told us otherwise. Got chatting to uh, uh, an Edinburgh fan, uh, got talking to him about Bill Matter, which was nice. Always mm. going to include a bit of Fiji chat in there. Got to the stadium. I don't know what you found it like with crowd control, mate. At Nice, it was a bit ropey. So it was baking hot. If I wasn't wearing my scarlet cap, I'm very certain that I would have gotten heat stroke um, while I was out there. And as we were going in, the police formed a line across. So the stadium only had two entrances from either side and the police just blocked one, the one that we needed to get to and said, no, you need to wait for that crowd to go. So there was however many hundreds, if not thousands, of Scotland fans stood out there just, just waiting to be let in. And I've never, I've been to Cardiff, I've been to Twickenham, I've been to a couple of other grounds as well. I've never had that at any other sporting event. So there's been some stories, uh, I think Marseille as well came in for a bit of stick about how, how they managed crowd control. So that seems to be a problem that they've had in France. But yeah, eventually got in, got let in. The card readers they had, so uh, obviously the ticket, everyone, most people had e-tickets on their phone. We we printed out paper tickets just in case, but most people had e-tickets on their phone. But when they were putting the e-tickets into the barcode reader, it was triggering the phones to think that it was next to a pay thing. So it was coming on with people's credit and debit cards to, to pay like on Apple Pay. And it was taking the ticket away and it was just causing consternation and, and it was... They, the poor people who were manning the gates were trying to make it all work and things. But luckily we got in, we had paper tickets, went and sat down. We were sat in the only bit of the stadium that wasn't in shade. So <laughs> I went and I hid on the concourse for a bit because, like I said, I was very sure I was going to get a heat stroke. Thankfully, didn't. But yeah, watched the game. I was sat next to a Swiss rugby fan who had visited from Sweden, set, not Sweden, Switzerland. Uh, and he said that he only really watched Rugby World Cup, so he asked me like what other tournaments there are, and I said there's the Six Nations, and said yeah, he knew about that. And I said then there's a Rugby Europe Championship, and he said oh, our, our, our Switzerland in that. And, oh, sorry. <laughs> so, but it was I tried to help him enjoy it. It was a good, enjoyable game. Obviously, uh, anybody who follows the channel or the Twitter will have seen the clips of. Flower of Scotland, like I said, it felt like a Scotland home game. It was almost all Scotland fans. I got uh, challenged by a couple of Scotland fans who realised that I was a Wales fan and were like, but we support you, so why aren't you supporting us? And I was like, 
look around, mate. Tonga need all the help they can get. So I was in Tonga for, for the day. Um, so yeah, it's most mostly, like I said, a good game. Tonga were really in it for the first half, definitely. They were leading, I think, on 10 or 12 minutes. They were leading 12-10. The, and they scored a try very early in the second half. They had an incredible carry from their captain. Um, took him from about 10 metres out with about four men hanging off his back and his eye over it. So that, that tight head. Um, so that, that was incredible. That got a big roar. Obviously saw the Sippy Tower as well. Um, but I am unfortunately just continue the trend of the tier two teams in this World Cup of, it gets to about not even an hour, I'd say more like 50, 55 minutes and they just, fall away for me it was less the physical side of it was less noticeable than the mental side of it because they'd been really up for it up until then they were putting in these big shots on some scotland players uh, including a uh, one red cards that i thought they were very lucky not to get that got kept as a, as a yellow mm. and the crowds were obviously going oh wow and get, making all the noises from the hits and then that started to drop away and then piatel uh, celesti piatel playing fullback he started to just every time he got the ball in the backfield, just started kicking for touch and getting off the pitch. And Tonga's line out wasn't really at it. And it just allowed Scotland into the game. And Scotland were able to keep, I think this is for me the biggest difference between tier one and tier two at the moment is that Scotland were just able to keep playing at their level for 80 minutes. And Tonga, for the last half an hour of the game, just hanging on. And I think they gave a, a good account of themselves. I'd say it was better than they played against Ireland. But yeah, it just it reinforces for me that these tier two nations just need more rugby matches. It, I think Samoa are probably the best example of that with their game against Argentina. If Samoa played ten games a year rather than four or five, uh, I think Samoa would be at Argentina's level quite quickly. It's just a just a shame that the match itself wasn't much of a a contest um, after in the last half of an hour, but. Yeah, Scotland did their thing. Like I said, Bing Russell got pounded and kept getting up every single time. A robust team. Darcy Graham scored a great try. That was great to see. Oh, Finn Russell did a no-look pass as well, which I saw from the stands. I saw him looking. I think he was looking behind him that way and passed it flat. And so it was great. So he got got all the hits. They played all the hits, as they say. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was great. And then, obviously, did the drive back in the dark, but managed, like I say, to make it in one piece. And... Got the car back um, to the uh, train station, Touchwood, without any extra charges, despite the fact I may have um, clipped the wing mirror on a gantry at one point, but we won't talk about that. So yeah, <laughs> so that was my my experience. I think it was more about the general experience than the game itself, because the game was less of a contest than the one you went to. But yeah, it's something I'll be able to say um, that I was there. And I got a I got a tweet liked by Sam Lousy, so my day was very much worth it. <laughs> well, that's probably it for for our experiences, and and yeah, that that's what I want to share anyway. And it's brilliant to hear that you you had such a good time as well. And just wrap, wrapping up, then uh, we've got the you know Georgia v Portugal draw. Can Portugal beat Australia? Like, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, so I, I managed to watch that game. It, it, obviously, a thrilling game. Shout out to Francisco, who uh, we had on last week, the big Portugal man, and uh, covers Georgia a lot. We'll have to see how Georgia get on in the rest of their games. And I think it'll be very interesting to see how they get on against Fiji uh, and see how Fiji approach that game. 
think got to be disappointed with how those two games have gone. They would have definitely backed themselves to have beaten Portugal as they they've beaten Portugal, I think, pretty much without exception for the last 20-ish years, just less than 20 years. So they'll be very shocked as to not have won that game uh, or, or even won it easily. In Portugal, I think it puts Wales' performance against Portugal into context, uh, which I'm, obviously I'm happy about. And yeah, in terms of can Portugal go on and beat Australia? I don't think so. I find that unlikely, but it's going to be a hell of a thing to watch. Portugal against Fiji is going to be a hell of a thing to watch because yeah. it's two very potentially exciting teams. But what I will say is that Portugal A, at, sorry, Portugal played Australia A in the summer. And that Australia A team contains James O'Connor and Bernard Foley. And I think Australia A won it, I want to say 41-17, something like that. So we will be able to make that direct comparison when that game happens as to the point that I was making earlier about Eddie's selections, because if they can't better what Australia's reserves could do, then I think that could end up being the nail in the coffin. So we'll see. We'll see. Great stuff, mate. I think that pretty much wraps up, you know, this this week's episode shorter than usual. But as we explained at the beginning, uh, we were both yeah, over in France enjoying ourselves and what Hughes still is. So please don't forget to, to follow our socials um, for updates on our Tier 2 tracker, our fantasy, our predictions and all the latest news. So I think that, that that's it from us. Um, thank you all for, for tuning in. Any last words, Hugh? No, have a good week, guys. Uh, we'll enjoy all the rugby this week and we'll see you same time again next week. Thanks all. Podcast Network.